Hi, I'm Brian Boger. Welcome to my podcast, Flipping the Lid. I'm a husband, father, entrepreneur, and well, just a human being like you. I've faced personal tragedy, significant trauma. I've dealt with shame, anger, and self-doubt, all of which have created a ripple effect of damage in my world. I'm grateful that I've learned the importance of looking and going inside to create, repair, unpack, and reach levels of success that I never believed possible. Now as a coach, keynote speaker, and author, I'm fascinated by the stories that have shaped some of our world's most significant and successful individuals. So we're gonna flip the lid and take a look inside the stories that have shaped their lives and success and we'll be featuring a number of individuals who have literally flipped the lid in their lives and businesses. Welcome to Flipping the Lid. Let's go jump in. Welcome back everybody to Flipping the Lid. You know what we do here now. We literally jump inside these stories of some of the most fascinating people who are creating impact in this world. And today our guest is no exception. In fact, he's an individual that lived, in some cases, two different lives. He's faced severe physical trauma just like myself, but in completely different respects and completely different impacts in his life. But what I love more than anything about this man is that he's a husband and father first, and it doesn't matter what you say to him, that is absolute clarity on the singular greatest focus in his life. I've said for years that I'm the only thing that's binary in my world is my wife and my kids, and this is an individual that exemplifies that just with his heart and the ways he shows up. But what's also really beautiful is that it's not just about what our stories are. It's about the faith, the conviction, the connection, and the passion to be able to continue to keep ourselves moving, even when it seems like we just can't even barely stand. And my friend, Joe, I am so happy to have you here. Ryan, good to see you, man. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. I'm excited for this conversation. You know, I, I didn't really go into anything on what you do. I just talked about who you are in my eyes. But I always start most shows with this question because that's how I see you. Somebody who's breaking limitations, who's showing people what's possible, who's living life with depth and connection, right? Despite many reasons that maybe that wouldn't have been so easy for you. And I'd just love it if you could tell us who you are in your words, my friend. Yeah, man. Um, I mean, the opening there is beautiful until you said barely can stand, but like I can't stand. So there's, I mean, there's... I know I was, I was, I, I was trying to have a play on words there and it, it was, just... Dude, it was so good. It was so, it's perfect. It's perfect. That wasn't scripted. Now, that just came out. Uh, but I, as soon as I said that, I was like, barely stand. I thought the same thing. I was like, shit, Joe can't stand at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it was great. And I'm like, that's way too good not to say anything. I mean, come on now. That's just going to be awkward. It's so good. Uh, no, not, I, I use, <laughs> I use a lot of humor as I feel like you do within the context of, of life. Um, yeah, like to yeah. answer your question, um, you're spot on. You're spot on. I think there's there's all kinds of different things to go after in this world, um, but at home, I want to be I want to be a hero in my house. I want to be Man. famous in my house, um, and that is something that I continue to have to like pull myself back into. Uh, I get so excited about my endeavors outside of the home and um, being able to to get to do what I do. But um, being a wife to April, husband to my three kids, or uh, a husband, sorry. Afternoon. A husband. You're a wife April. sometimes to her as well. I'm hey, sure honest, it's okay. Honestly, she's like, listen, I run this house. No, a husband <laughs> April. Um, a husband April and a and a father, <laughs> a father to my kids. But um, but yeah. So I mean, that's that's first and foremost. It's something that I continue to just go back to and making sure that I'm doing a good job there and 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 dialing that in first and foremost. 
It is so beautiful to hear you say that you want to be a hero in your own home and famous, right, to your family and in your own home. Help me understand what that means to you, because that, that it sounds incredible and there's depth I, that we clearly see at the surface on it. But what does that mean to you? I think like it's not it's there's not the glitz and glamour. There's not a red carpet being rolled out. There's nothing um, unique about it except for like showing up. Um, I'm gone a lot. I'm gone almost 50 percent of the time right now. Um, but when I'm home and even when I'm gone, uh, whether it's FaceTime, whether it's devotions in the morning, whether it's just be being able to have conversations with my kids and my wife is is making sure I'm there. And now here's like the thing where it's real is is there's a lot of mess ups. There's a lot of failures. There's a lot of need for grace and forgiveness. Um, and and so it's just real life. And I want to be an example of that to my kids as they're growing up, because I, I you know, my I, my mom and dad do, did a great job raising me and everything like that. But I think just, I guess my perspective of it is like, I really want them to understand what forgiveness looks like. I really want them to understand mm. that like there's failure going to happen because there's a lot of people I think right now that are carrying this giant bag of guilt and this giant bag of shame over their shoulders and it's breaking them down and they don't know where. And, and so I just, I want them to understand that it's okay to fail because we all do. Yeah, uh, I've learned a lot of tough lessons through failure that I would not um, take back because they've been beautiful after the after the fact. But uh, in those moments, I think it's just a beautiful piece to be able to share with your kids as they're growing up in, in the world that they're growing yeah. up in. Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't believe in failure either. I think failure only exists when you fail to find the feedback in the situation and be able to understand what it's pointing you towards. And you know, even listening to you talk as a dad, I appreciate the humility that you even start with. You're like, no, it's not all perfect. Like I, as I'm seeking to be better every day, seeking to be a hero in my own home, like I screw up and I make those mistakes, but you're also seeking repair when you create damage. You're also setting a model for what vulnerability and ownership can look like. And I know that for myself, my kids have been my greatest teachers in so many ways. And I was not the husband and father that I am today for the first five or six years of their life. I was a great husband and father, but to your point exactly, I was stuck in the blame and the shame and so many elements of the things that I didn't see that prevented me from showing up as the best version of myself. You know, you can't talk about that and layer those pieces in without having personal experience and understanding what that looks like. So can you take us there in your marriage and in your household and where are areas where you used to exist in shame and blame that you had to learn to shed layers and move through because by the way, shame is the lowest frequency energy on Hawkins scale. It's like 20 points of frequency when like courage is at like 200, right? Enlightenment's yeah. at like 700, yeah. right? And, and like all these other pieces start to change. So shame is deep and it's dark, but it doesn't get talked about. Where does shame impact you and in those areas in particular? Yeah, yeah, I love the fact that you say it doesn't get talked about because it doesn't, it's hard. It's hard to, to own up to. It's hard, and especially in a masculine role hey. as a father is. As don't a feel, dude. Is. Don't feel. You can't um, feel. You're gonna be weak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My goodness. And and I, I man, true masculinity is is tapped into when you're actually feeling, when you're actually rolling through those uh, emotions. And so, a, a great example that I always remember. Uh, it's only a couple of years ago now, but. Uh, my oldest son, Braxton, uh, he's very much like me, super competitive little dude. He's 11 now, but this is probably when he was eight or nine years old. And 
uh, super competitive guy. And, uh, and so our personalities are very, very similar. Uh, he's, he's sensitive, um, but wants to be really masculine and, and tuck those feelings. And that's something that I did a lot growing up. And, um, and there was a moment a couple years ago where I just, I just lashed out at him, just absolutely mm. said things out of my mouth that I shouldn't have said, um, you know, and, and he went to his room crying. Um, and it was just immediately that guilt and shame, just beating yourself up in your head. Um, you know, and, in in the moment I'm kind of like, I want to, there's two sides of it. I want to go and rush and be like, dude, I am so sorry, blah, 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 and, and, and fix it. And then there's the other side of like, I'm the dad. And if I go there and, and, and if I go there and, and say, I'm sorry, then I lose the battle. And, and all the, like this, this pretty much this bullshit of, of guilt and shame telling you the narrative, which is not correct. Um, and so wait a little bit and then go into his room and in my head, I'm thinking this is the perfect time to teach this young boy about what forgiveness looks like. Uh, so I go in, um, start to talk to him a little bit. Uh, tears rolling down my cheeks, yep. uh, get mm -hmm. emotional about it, but I'm just going, Rex, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, what I said to you is wrong. Um, I didn't mean those things. You are not those things. Um, here's where I'm at. Here's where I'm, my emotions are. And, uh, will you forgive me? And he, I mean, he's like, yeah, dad, everything's cool, man. Whatever. And, but if I, if, I, if I tell him these things I, at eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 into his teenage years, uh, I feel like he's going to get an understanding that we're, yeah. we're going to mess up completely, I, but there's a moment. I, I know, I know he will, Joe. Yeah. That's uh, I got, I got goosebumps multiple times. Cause that's something that happens or happened in my house far more frequently than I care to admit is moments that created damage. And my wife and I have always, always, always believed like we're human and we're going to screw up. It's in the repair and ownership that the energy gets released, right? We genuinely believe like so much of the things that keep people stuck is because of the trash from their past, right? That moment of shame and blame that caused you to be triggered and anger and resentful and lash out at your son had nothing to do with your son. It had everything to do probably with how your dad looked at you when you were seven. Right, right. right. And, and so your ability to even talk about how you move that into your conscious awareness is just beautiful. And again, a, a great example of masculinity. You know, I'm really curious, my friend. Um, I'd like you to take us back to 2004. Yeah, yeah. And I want you to tell us where you were in your life, what was happening, how you were feeling, and what happened to you in that same year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so 2004, um, summer of 2004, kind of to set the stage is in between my freshman and sophomore years of high school. or uh, so Sorry, freshman and sophomore years of college. Um, I had went to Winona State University to play college football and came home to Prairie Sheen, Wisconsin, which is about two and a half hours down the Mississippi River, um, bordering Wisconsin and Iowa is where my little hometown of 5,000 people were Prairie Sheen, Wisconsin and going down, uh, back down to train and to, to work as, you know, any college student would. My buddies, Kyle and Adam, best friends in high school came back from college as well, different colleges. So we're all coming back and uniting in Prairie for uh the summer and 19 years old and 6'6 six, six and 260 pounds and rough tough football player um 
absolutely kind of living out my dream. I have no idea what I want to do in my life. I think I'd switched my major like twice already in, in one year and no idea, but I knew I wanted to play football and was kind of living out that dream. Uh, was always loved being a part of teams and, and whatnot. And so, um, life was good. Pretty much, uh, felt like an invincible, big, rough, tough, tall football player. Um, I was kind of living that, that, uh, charade and, um, and in, in, in July, we're, we're on the Mississippi River probably once a week, if not more, um, after jobs and whatnot. And um, in July 10th, 2004, we're out on the Mississippi River that, that summer day, beautiful summer day, 75 degrees, partly cloudy, um, enjoying the morning river. And we're always in back sloughs. Kyle's dad uh, and grandpa had give, given him a little like 14 foot alumacraft boat but to us it was i mean it was it could have been a yacht like it was just so much freedom and fun um as college dudes on the river and uh how bad it sounds yeah, like a good time. So he's in the back <laughs> slew uh adam's kneeboarding um i'm just sitting in the boat with my hands behind my head enjoying the summer day and kyle's driving and he ends up hitting the bottom of the river and it Dang. sent me flying back so the pole breaks on the chair of the boat sends me flying back and I hit my head on the inside of the boat in the front part of the boat. And, uh, that impact broke my neck at the C six and seven level, six and seven vertebrae down from the base of your skull. So in a split second, go from that identity and that reality to, I wake up and Kyle and Adam are looking over top of me with tears rolling down their hey. face and frightening and freaking out. And, and I'm freaking out from the, the pain not of the neck, but of the, the head injury where there's a gash in my skull. Uh, yeah. and I'm just screaming for them to just get me help. There's so much pain. Uh, I asked Adam to knock me out because of the pain. Like it was just excruciating in those moments. I deeply identify with portions of what you just described, obviously in my own right, you know, you wake up, you're in so much pain. How long after you woke up did you realize that you couldn't move your legs? So I blacked out, blacked woke out. up. Kyle and Adam are asking me questions. I'm excruciating pain um, back and forth. They told me they were calling 911, and then they had asked me, like, they knew not to move my body. We were lifeguards growing up, so they knew to stabilize my neck and not move my body. But they were, you know, can you move your legs at all? And send the signal down from, the, from my brain down into my spinal cord into my legs subconsciously like you do with any body part and nothing happens and so um, at uh, first i'm kind of going oh it's like a it's like a football stinger type of thing where you know you go numb for a second um but then i touched my leg and it was like i felt someone else's leg it wasn't my leg that i was feeling because it felt like i was touching my friend's leg or something and uh so knew something was wrong but i didn't know the gravity of the situation until like two or yeah. three days later we had gotten to the shore from a rescue boat and then into the ambulance ambulance took me to the local hospital like adam's mom was right there as well she was a nurse there for 43 years and um so she's there and they do these tests and whatnot and they're like we gotta get you on the helicopter get you to a bigger hospital you have surgery and uh, a couple of days later when i was a little bit more uh aware is when the doctors are coming in and telling me the gravity of it that i had a spinal cord injury c6 and seven I'm an incomplete quadriplegic, all these different things. And 
you're paralyzed, you're going to use a wheelchair. And I'm just like, what? It doesn't process. Right. You're, you're, you're 19 years old. Life, right. like all the life in front of you, living out kind of your sport childhood dream, um, gone. And I'm just like, I didn't want to accept it. There's no way. No way. It, like, what? Um, you're speechless. And yeah. uh, and from there, it was just this shock. Um, and I remember just not wanting to believe it. Yeah. You know, I remember for the first, I don't, I don't know the exact timeline, right? Like 24, 48 hours ish. I remember feeling like I was in between worlds. Like it, like what was happening in front of me was a dream that it wasn't actually my reality. Does any of that resonate with you in your experience regardless <laughs> yeah. outside of the lack of processing? Yeah, I would, I would say honestly, the entire hospital stay yeah. was just non-reality for me. And it was almost yeah. like this little you know, you're in the, in this little prison and you uh-huh. don't know what the outside world looks like. Um, and I was in a power chair at the time. So I'm just moving this joystick around the campus. I went outside a couple times, but the most part stayed inside and, uh, hated looking in the mirror. Didn't really want to go and yeah. see people. Um, didn't want to think about what the outside world looked like in a wheelchair. Didn't want to see myself in a wheelchair. Didn't want to identify as being a man in a wheelchair and what that meant and like what is you know and dealing with any uh-huh. of those emotions or feelings um i literally stayed alive because of the people that would come into my hotel or hospital room felt like a little uh, hotel room from a horror film but yeah um in my hospital room and um was like almost on emotional life support and yeah. kept on getting fed through these people that would show up and uh-huh. what I thought was just ugh, like cliches of everything's going to be okay and you're going to get through it and we're praying for you and blah, blah, you know, like it's just great. All right. Next day you wake up and the nightmare continues. And that was, that uh-huh. was 89 straight days, um, in that, in that hospital room. 89 straight days. And you call it a hotel room, a, a hospital room, but it, it probably in a lot of ways also felt like a legitimate prison. Um, you know, someone who's active, who's moving, who has a very vibrant life, who's 19, who's living life to the fullest and then brought to an immediate halt. Right. I find that one of the most normalizing things for the human experience is when our physical capability is challenged and particularly in a significant way. Right. Some people deal with this with just normal pain as they age. Others it's with traumatic injuries to our bodies like you and I have experienced. And I know that for me, it's interesting. I've had multiple physical situations that the physical piece knocked me into consciousness. Like I was not aware of things. I wasn't seeing things. I wasn't like together. And then my physical body's challenged in some way. And all of a sudden I have like perspective. I'm really curious for you. You said it so subtly and embedded, like it wasn't a big deal, but your complete identity and sense of self changed immediately in a moment. Yeah. Yeah. And not only are you dealing with the physical pain and the healing and the disconnection and the isolation and all the pieces that are happening while all of this exists, but at the same time, like you're trying to figure out, is it real? How do I move forward? What am I doing? Right. At 19 years old, 
all of a sudden your entire world was 180 degrees in the opposite direction. Right? Yeah. How did you begin yeah. to move through that? Because a lot of people get stuck. Oh man. I like, first of all, this like there's <laughs> in this story and there's times where I, you kind of forget about some of this, uh, to be honest. I mean, it's, it, I've been on podcasts where I'm just like, oh yeah, I got an accident. And then, you know, then, and then, Dude, I'm the same then, way. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Like it's like you know, it's like the like the Disney movie. But like there's there's but there's this dark dark <laughs> period, and I was stuck in it for a solid probably eighteen months after my accident, maybe <laughs> a little bit longer. But like that's when I started to kind of move out of it. But there was a dark period. Like there was, I'm my reality is 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 I'm no longer playing football. That identity is completely ripped away. Everything that I built my life to be as an athlete is 100% gone. Um, and, and, and the cruel part of it is, and I remember this, that summer still in the hospital room is life's going on. So those, those friends that were in college and have to go back to college, it was July 10th. So a month, two months later, they're heading back to school and I'm literally paralyzed in my, in my room. So like life's moving on and I'm just laying there and like the cruelness of that, um, and then the realness of it was both, um, horrible for me, but also kind of sparked something in me that, that said like, life is going on with or without you. Like the Bingo. train doesn't stop and it could have been there. Man, there's so many people, there's so many, there's so many people that see that and go, I don't want to get on. Yeah. And that's, oh man, it's so sad. It, it. And like, and I've like, been there, there's, there's times in that hospital room where I'm like, I don't want to jump on that train. I have no idea what that's going to look like. I don't want to do it. Um, what is that going to, who am I without the, without sports? Who am I as a man with a disability? Um, well, life moves on and, and, and regardless, life's going to move on in your sad existence or it's going to move on. And you can choose to make something beautiful out of it. Yeah. Um, but I was in that dark moment for for 18 months. I, I, I ate my feelings. I got really fat um, and, and didn't want to be around people in wheelchairs. Didn't want to be identified as a person in a wheelchair. So I stayed in my house a lot. I was at, back home with my parents. Every 19-year-old kid's dream. Moved back in with mom and dad. So like, there's a lot of things. You know, My mom was taking care of me. I wasn't independent whatsoever. Um, helping me, uh, intermittent cath, helping me go to the bat, like all everyday activities, uh, ADLs that you just take for advantage, taking a dump and, and, yeah. and going to the bathroom. It isn't happening, uh, by right. myself. My mom's doing it at 19. And so talk about like going from a masculine football player to your mom wiping your ass. Like there's, there's a lot of, um, <laughs> there's a lot of dark moments in that. Yeah. I, I'm I'm grateful that that you went there and that you shared some of those dark moments with as much clarity as you did, even with the imagery, the words, and where you were at in those moments. Because you know, again, I deeply, deeply identify with a lot of that uh, from the second part of my story when I was 20. And we won't go there for for the purpose of this because today is about you. But it's fascinating because I realized how disconnected I was in so many ways because of all the areas that I tried to protect myself. And what I was blind to was the level of shame that I was carrying and the level of anger that was really hidden underneath. And what's interesting is for me, most of my anger, regardless of the generational patterns and pieces of where it can exist in my world, 
most of my anger came in direct response to my relationship with my body. And so you talk about the dark period, right? I'm, you're grieving the loss of the life that you would have known, right? On this path, you're already in a place where you're living your so your so-called dream life, right? And now all of a sudden your mom's wiping your ass. What I'm curious about is you moved through that and that's, that's great. How long did the emotional impact of this injury show up and affect you in the patterns in your life? Yeah. It's uh, let's be real. It's still a trigger. It's still, it still can pop up from time to time and it pops up in insecurity. Uh, and it pops up in, um, a feeling of inadequacy. Um, you know, as a father with a disability and going like, am I good enough? Um, are they going to see me as masculine enough? Uh, can I do this in other ways that aren't kind of provided for me and in, you know, realizing how powerful my mouth can be, even though I physically can't do some things, uh, with my kids. And so like, that's something that I still struggle with. It still pops up. It still needs to be worked on. Um, it's something that I, I, I truly don't think goes away. Like our triggers don't necessarily go away. Our, our ability to battle them. And you spend less time tools. in them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's the real honest answer. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you went on to do a lot of really big things and you're doing big things right now from a physical perspective, right? You've been able to channel your athleticism, your focus, your leadership, so many of the ways that you show up in the world. And, you know, you're a two-time Paralympic medalist in wheelchair rugby. That was something that just drew me to you. And when you and I first met, I don't even think you were coaching yet, but you were you were in the process of potentially moving into a leadership role. Talk to us a little bit about your journey from realizing now that you're going to spend your entire life in a wheelchair to becoming a two-time Paralympic medalist in wheelchair rugby, right? Like, what's the journey that got you there and how did you get connected to that sport? Yeah. Um, I started out eating Wheaties and then it, no, it, like it's, it's, uh, man, it's, it's, by the way, you belong in a Wheaties box if you haven't made it's, it there yet. Like, right. Exactly. Exactly. Come on, Wheaties. Um, come no, on, Wheaties. It's, we're going uh, to put in a plug right now. It's, we're going to send this yes. little clip to Wheaties. You're going to be on the cover of Wheaties, bro. Give, give me some love. Get on the box. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> what do you mean you don't eat breakfast? No. It's, um, yeah. <laughs> No, it's a long process, but first of all, it was finding out that my identity didn't need to be. So I'm a, I'm a lifelong sports guy. Uh, and, and I love sports. I love what they teach. I love team sports, everything like that. Uh, it's rooted in me for a reason, but I realized like my only identity isn't in sports. My only identity isn't in being an athlete. And that really helped kind of navigate and give me kind of the grace and space to be able to kind of continue on and figure out what life was like. So that first step was, was, uh, in the hospital was realizing let's get in the wheelchair and figure out some stuff so I can go home. Uh, and then when I went home, I'm like, oof, 19 years old, this is great. My mom's helping me out. I love this, but let's, let's go back to college. Um, so that was the next step. And then people around me, the support around me continuing to kind of push me. Uh, there's times where I, I didn't want to, go back to school or, or, or go out and hang oh, out or anything like out. that. But people around me go, let's get you out, dude. Let's, let's get you back in the community. And so continuing to like, feel a little bit more comfortable with that 
you know, as long as people weren't patting me on the head when I went out, uh, you know, or asking me to, you know, all this, the, the 90 year old ladies, like, do you need to push? I'm like, yeah, like, I feel like you should sit on my lap and I should give you a ride. Like this isn't, <laughs> it's just, uh, this is backwards. Yeah. But, um, but no, it, it, it led me to go back to school, which led me to figure out that I had a competitive fire in me. So I helped out the football team a little bit. And I was like, I want to, like, I want to do something. I want to go somewhere mm-hmm. uh, and do this. And that's where I started looking up wheelchair rugby stuff. And it was around that time as well where Kyle, who was driving the boat, one of my best friends in life, was like, bro, you you need to get yourself weighed. Uh, and he was super kind about it and super loving about it. But he's like, you're fat, man. Um, you're, you're not healthy right now. And so, and I didn't believe him. I was like, no, man. Like, I didn't have a wheelchair scale at home or anything like that. Like, still don't. But I, like, how do you get weighed? So you go to the hospital, you get, jump on a bed, and before they you jump on the bed, it's zeroed out, and they you jump on the bed, they weigh you, and it weighed me in at like 285 pounds, mm. and I was like, whoa! Uh, yeah, I well, that big six six frame gets big too. Gets real big, especially with all those emotions. And he uh, he's like, man, you should probably start like doing something, working out or like pushing around the block. Or I I couldn't push my wheelchair, my manual wheelchair. I'd switched over to that after a little while and. Uh, couldn't push it around the block or like maybe two blocks. Like it just didn't have the strength to do it. And, um, but him showing me enough tough love to, to, to help me get weighed and kind of make me realize, Hey, you're heading down a path where it's not great. Um, and then going back to school and realizing I still had a competitive fire led me to, to looking up some sports online, found wheelchair rugby and, uh, completely changed my life getting, getting into that environment, um, in 2006. Yeah. So two years after the accident, you landed into that environment relatively quickly, which is which is beautiful. And I also really love the camaraderie, friendship, and depth you just shared with your friend, right? So often we need someone outside of ourselves to tell us when we are not congruent with who we believe we are or not living up to our power and potential. And I know that some of the greatest moments of transformation and shift in my life came from when people in my life who were close to me said something similar, like, hey, you're not on the right path. You're not doing well. Like, yeah. how are you going to get yourself back? And so I really appreciate you honoring your friend even in that. And, you know, something that comes to mind for a lot of people is it's, I, I think it's easy to sit here and say it's an accident, right? And it was an accident when it all happened. But what I also really appreciate is the same man who was driving the boat is also the same man who saved your life. Yeah. Yeah. Because had he not shown you a very accurate reflection of yourself in that time, you wouldn't be who you are today and you wouldn't be on the path because someone would have lacked the courage to reflect it back to you. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. So that's really beautiful. And I just really wanted to honor that because like you have clearly zero mal energy, negative energy, response, resentment, or anything towards this man. And and in so many ways, it's also because he never left you. And in fact, he's the one that also saved you. Yeah. And so it's beautiful how you said that. Thank you for sharing. Um, you know, at some point while you were talking to the Red Bull team, you know, you talk about your first view of murder ball is wheelchair rugby. Is that you may be the only person I can think of that can use the phrase cripple running around to make each other more crippled and get away with it, right? Like, give me your take on the word crippled because that word has a yeah. different meaning to both of us, I'm sure, in different ways. Yeah. And I'd love to hear what that word means to you and how you've lived into it. So obviously not PC whatsoever. Um, but when I use it, I use it, I use it to make people feel comfortable. And like, I hate the word handicap. 
handicapped. Like, oh, it's just it's gross. And then, like, disabled. Um, I like I'm okay with it. It's just kind of like I don't know, I'm different, but then probably a little bit more on the. Eh. And then and then crippled is just kind of like my body has done a lot for me, but it's it's just like physically like this is kind of where it is. Like I'm I am I'm paralyzed. Uh, yeah, and, and, you know, and I can do a lot of things, but it's still a crippled body. Like it, it is what it is. And so just kind of mm-hmm. growing that out, um, in a way where we're not dancing around it. And I think when I speak, it's, it, it allows the person that's listening into the space in a comfortable, safe way. Um, and yeah. that's, that's the main reason for using it, but I just like it better than some of these other words out here. Well, and honestly, I hadn't even compared that to the words that you just used, like disabled and right. Like, and in all reality, I completely identify, right? Like when someone tells me, they're like, oh, how is it to be handicapped? And I'm like, I'm, I'm not handicapped. They're like, how, how does it feel to be disabled? I'm like, I'm not disabled. Like I, yep. One arm is different. I don't have full use of it. Yeah. I've got a whole bunch of different problems that come from that. I've got ancillary body pain for 30, but you know, but I'm not disabled. Right. Crippled is, is, is actually probably the most accurate description of it is. And I think for me, I actually have a little bit of a sentimental term to that because, um, my grandma had polio back in the day and she was someone that I could relate to from a physical perspective because she used to make custom braces to keep her foot up. So she wouldn't trip when she walked. And one of her legs was really, really small and crippled was what the term was that she used and we used and. It just never meant that we couldn't do anything. It just meant that our body had been through some trauma and was a little different. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. It is inviting and it's normalizing. And, uh, and I really appreciate that. You know, I'm you 13 years on the team, um, eight years as captain. And now you're the coach. Yeah. You've been, you were an observer and a learner, a participant, a leader, and now you're, leading at a whole different level. So talk about how your identity was created to who you are today and how rugby helps complement that identity because I know it's not your identity. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely been, there's definitely been some times in those moments in, in the 15 years working with the national team on different levels and then um, and then it was 17 years in, in rugby there's definitely been times where rugby has been my my absolute kind of identity dive in and i gotta pull myself back out so like that's um that's set at the top but i think what what's happened in in the in the span of the last 15 years is i've learned that um it is a conduit if i choose it to be but it can be a vehicle which drives me further towards my purpose um, and what I've been able to experience with men and women in the program is it is it is a is a perfect little vehicle and conduit to help others because um, that's what I feel like I was put on this earth to do is just help others through whether it's speaking, coaching, being an athlete, whatnot. Um, getting to do it at a competitive, high elite level is the cherry on top, um, and so that's what's helped. It, it's just been a great vehicle to go how far my body can go how far mentally I can go. Um, it's taken me all over the world, but it's shown me some really tough lessons that it's not the end all, um, that it's not about the medals, but it's about those friendships that I've developed. It's about the mentorship uh, and mentoring that I've received. 
throughout the years. And then now as a coach is how do I help men and women in our program become better uh, while they're in recruitment through retirement so they can go out and, 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 and do their, their true purpose that finding, you know, it's a passion. Rugby is a passion, definitely not a purpose, but it can, it can drive you towards that intersect. That's beautiful. I love how you talk about that. What's one trait that you believe makes you a winning coach? Um, competitive culture. Um, I think, I think, well, let's, let's stop right there. Culture. I think culture is so, so stinking important. Um, and I'm, I'm learning year two, I'm learning how, how big culture is and then keeping people accountable within that culture is, um, it can, it can lead to some really, really hard decisions on, on who stays and who goes. Um, and some people leave on their own, I think, because the culture there is like, Hey, we are going to be accountable. Um, we're going to be vulnerable with each other. We're going to be accountable with each other, but it's also a performing elite space. And so like, you need to make sure that, you know, then if you're a non-performer that you have really good culture and, and that you're dialed in there, if you're a performer, you better have really good culture. And so, um, not having two different standards for those two different groups, uh, where you have uh, your starters and your role players is you, across the board, we we're going to meet the standard of culture. And if we don't, um, it's my job to keep you accountable. And so learning there a little yeah. bit. And then number two, within the competitive balance, we want to win. 100%, but before we get to winning is creating a space, uh, to be able to fail. So just like, yeah. I want to teach my kids about failure and forgiveness. I, I want to teach the athletes about failure and forgiveness and that, yeah, uh, creating that space. Uh, it's something I'm, I'm, uh, I'm growing in and learning about and what that safe place is and where it isn't. Um, and so, yeah, yeah that's where I'm at. What's something you still need to forgive yourself with? Um, I think it's something that I, I constantly am preaching about across the board, speaking, coaching, or, or with the family is forgiveness. I think I'm really, really hard on myself, which, which can lead to some success, but it also can lead to a lot of baggage. Um, and so letting those, letting those failures go, um, forgiving myself, realizing that I'm not going to get it right all the time. Um, you know, I put a lot of pressure on myself due to, you know, the, the non-existent relationship with my father growing up. And, um, and I want to be there for my kids. I want to be there for my wife. I want to be there for my, uh, used to be teammates and now team and, and athletes and staff. Um, and, and there's times where like, I get it wrong. There's times where I, I lose my self-care routines and it starts to deteriorate my body really quickly. And, and I fail. And so, um, forgiving myself is, is a big one that, that I can continue to grow up. I, I resonate with that. It's, it's, I, I'm fast to forgive others and it's, it's a learned process to forgive myself. And, you know, there's a whole variety of places that that's the case. You know, you got a lot of emotion when you first start started answering that question. And it took you to those moments around some of the failures that exist. And so I'm going to challenge you to go to a little bit deeper and be specific. What is one failure that you're specifically struggling to forgive yourself with and why? Oof. Um, you know, a big, a big one is, uh, 2016, um, it was around rugby. It was, it was, uh, context is 2012. We, we lose 
bronze medal game, uh, or lo- lose, we win the bronze medal game. We lose the semifinal to go to the gold medal game. We had been ranked number one from 2005 to 2012. Epic failure, epic loss, uh, huge upset. Canada beats in the semifinal. Um, and from that next squad on, so 13 through 16 is like tunnel vision on gold, 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 gold. Like that's all that mattered. We can win gold. I became a captain 13, the young captain, 2013, uh, 28 years old. And was just like, Hey, like if we win, I'm a really good leader. That's going to bode well. If we win, uh, aspirations to be a speaker leader, but I'd be a better speaker with gold medal on my resume. Uh, all of a sudden, like better husband, better fa- like everything's in line. Let's win the gold. And that's like the golden ticket to cash in on, on affirmation for what this career is. And I think I even drilled down deeper. It was affirmation on, um, being okay with being paralyzed, uh, being yeah. okay with being in this wheelchair. Like that's how deep it had went. And, uh, 2016 ended up being cut from the squad like two months before the Rio Paralympics. And I was so pissed off. Um, and for a long, 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 long time. And I think still rooted in me a little bit is this unwillingness to forgive, um, the decision that was made and rooted into kind of like this, this idea of like, you're not going to put those walls up. Don't, don't trust dude, because you're going to get, they're going to come crumbling down type of a situation. Um, there was a flip in, tw- in 2017, uh, where I learned and, and, and again, like it was just like pointing the finger, totally playing the blame game on this whole thing. Not my fault. Not, I don't know. I don't want to do anything with it. I don't need to, I don't need to pick any pieces up like no way. And what I realized is my identity had just been, uh, tied to rugby and ripped away. And it yep. was like a parallelism to my accident uh-huh. in 2004. It had been tied to sports ripped away. Who am I now? Um, and I realized like this sport can be taken away at any time. I could have, re- you know, been cut or retired at any time. What am I without it? Who am I without it? What's my faith mean without it? And from there, like picking those pieces up, and I still think, six, seven years later, I'm still working on that. Um, and, in in understanding how to trust, understanding how to, um, to not blame and, and, and understand how to forgive in that moment. But, um, it took, a, it took an entire year after that to start to work on myself and go, dude, you weren't a good leader. You, you weren't bad, but you weren't good. You weren't working on what you needed to work on. Winning was above everything. Um, and then realizing like the men and women and, and growing, um, in relationship with them was way more important than understanding that I needed to be at home and present, even when I was on the road, be present in my house, um, and understanding that. And so it was a huge, huge moment, a huge pivot in my life, huge pivot, pivot in our personal life at home. Um, but something that, you know, it took a long time to take that chapter off the shelf and start to talk about, but there's still, there's still some anger and some resentment that still bubbles up a little bit that I'm, I'm still dealing with. Well, thank you for sharing that so openly. You know, what's interesting, my friend is, is even hearing you reflect and talk, 
your own definition of what forgiveness is and the lack of failures that actually exist in our life is perfectly modeled in what you learned and extracted in the feedback that you got from that situation. It changed you. You became something more. You became someone more. You allowed yourself to recognize where your identity was flawed and where you weren't showing up as a leader and you closed that gap. And so for that, I just want to reflect back to you, my friend. I hope that you find a way to release that energy soon. If there's anything I can do to personally help you do that, I'm happy to because you deserve to not carry the weight around for those things. And it's very obvious how intentional and aware you are in showing up for others. And so the, qu the other question that I have for you around that is, why is it that you believe that you need to carry so much weight for other people? Oof. I don't know. I don't know, man. Um, I was just talking to my wife about that this week. Interesting timing. Um, There's never coincidental I, timing in my world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's we're, just it always happens. Yeah, where where I need to feel on at all like, at all times. Yeah, and very hard on myself and going like I need to feel on in my marriage with my kids, in my leadership role with work, um, with getting the next speaking gig. With you know, it's every single minute of the day, and. uh and something that is really, really hard for me is to like turn that off, you yeah. know, and it's, it's, uh, yeah. I resonate deeply with a lot of that. My doing self way outweighed my being self for a lot of years. And, you know, it's interesting because here's what I'll also reflect back to you on this as, as it relates to you recognizing that the greatest investment you can make is in yourself and in your family. Right. And when you pour into your family, everything else in your life grows. What's also really interesting about this piece is that it's really no different, right? Like you have the ability to recognize like where and how you've moved. But what I've realized is the more I can be, the more I am. Yeah. And so what I realized as well, and I'll just say this for my own, I'm not saying this is the case for you. It was a lot easier for me to just stay busy and stay distracted than it was for me to actually deal with the pain that I still hadn't dealt with in here mm. to allow yeah. myself to be free and move. And for me, I'll just share this with you because it's, it's, it's unique and interesting. I, over the last 30 years, have had physical pain every day that I can remember. Yeah. The last two and a half weeks, as a byproduct of a lot of growth, evolution and relaxing and creating congruence and eliminating anger and all these pieces that, that I, I even hear and see you in front of me dealing with, I haven't had any physical pain in two and a half weeks wow. as I've had more emotional connection and depth and understanding in myself than I've ever had in my entire life. Now, that said, I'm not saying that that'll be the case for you in every place, but what I also yeah. found is the greatest source of resistance in my life in any capacity, largely of which was showing up in the shame and the blame and the lack of ability to be, all came from what was in here that I wasn't giving myself the space to process. Yeah. So I throw that out there just to say, yeah. my friend, I'm here, I'm here in any place possible, but that's something I want to challenge you on is that I actually do believe that you can create a hell of a lot more freedom there for yourself if, if, if you can find a way to change up the rhythm a little bit yeah and by the way 
that's not to suggest you're doing anything wrong because every yeah. single thing up until this moment has shaped you into who you are and the perspective that you have in glean. Yeah. Yeah. That's why you are a high performer and that's why you are a leader and that's why you are a connector. What I'm really curious about, because I know that this is the most important person in your world. Talk about your wife, yeah. where she came into your life, what she has meant to you and who she is to you today. Yeah. So, uh, April and I met in high school and, uh, Started dating like pre a month after. Yeah, so pre-injury, right? Yeah, pre-injury yeah. about a month before high school was done and then dated through college that first year and then um, and then was in my accident. And so she was in my, ho in my hospital room uh, every single day, 89 straight days, um, and, you know, never left my side since. And we've been through... Everything that I've kind of gone through, she's gone through she's with. She's been there. Um, and she's she's a, a helper in every sense of the word with all the respect that that word has. I think helper sometimes has a negative connotation, but uh, helper in the most powerful way possible. Um, and so, and she's also there to guide me as like a beautiful human guardrail lifting me up when I need it, pulling me back when I need it, like super hard on me when I need it. Um, and for that, like it's, it's been a beautiful, beautiful journey with her. And, um, yeah, like it's just, you know, I see her, the way that she treats our kids, the way that she, her heart is with our kids. Um, the way that she wants people to feel a certain way and is really good at it um has been a beautiful thing and a beautiful journey to be on who do you think you'd be if she wasn't in your life i don't even want to imagine i like it's uh yeah enough <laughs> said it's, that's yeah. the perfect answer that's yeah. beautiful my friend you know you are speaking on stages all over the world you are really elevating and empowering people even beyond what you're doing by just a living example is who you are and the leadership that you possess through rugby. What are the messages that you care most about people hearing? And what are your greatest challenges in getting those delivered into the world? Yeah, I think there's probably three of them that are tied into one concept, but, um, you know, number one is, is, is wrestling with people's identity. Um, the, something that I've used lately is this acronym self, um, support, effort, love, and faith. So the support that you have around you looking at that, when you're looking in the mirror, the concept is you're looking in the mirror and that can be really ugly at times, really hard at times. Like we've all gone through that and looked in the mirror and don't like what we see, whether it's physical or mental or spiritual or whatever, it, whatever it is, but looking at the support around you, a lot of times we feel isolated and lonely, but there's people in our lives that are, that are there for us. Um, that are specifically there for a specific reason. Um, we can also look at our effort when we're looking in the mirror and looking at how far we've came. That's something that's been super important for me when I'm having bad days, when I'm going through dark moments, is bad to look are in the mirror and find... Hold um, on. One second. One second. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There. I think I'm back. Uh-oh. Hold on. Sorry, one, the audio went out for me. One second. It's not on your side. It's on mine. Okay. Can you hand me the phone there? 
Sorry, Joe. This is the first time this has happened, brother. Oh, no problem. Oh, All right, now let me get this reconnected to the computer. There we are. Perfect, I think. Hold on. I'm right. Can you talk? Yep. Check, check, We're check. Back. We're back. Awesome. awesome. We're back. Thank you for the pause. Okay. Do you remember where we were? All right, so we were talking about... Okay, so self. Effort. So self. I think so, you were on... Yeah, you were so, on self. So yeah. pick back up at, at E. Yeah, so effort um, and looking in there and then having the perspective of like how far you've worked, how far you've came. I think that's something that's been really important for me and kind of like the the baseline has always been the 19-year-old kid in the hospital bed laying there paralyzed mm-hmm. not wanting to get in the wheelchair. Um, and like, what does he think about of how far I've came? Like, he'd be impressed by getting a pair of pants on, literally. Um, mm-hmm. But like understanding how much bigger it's gotten since then or how much better it's gotten since then. And so like the effort there and then love. Um I know like that, that word's kind of thrown around a lot and whatnot, but, um, for me, it it looks like the love that you have for yourself, understanding how to love yourself, understanding how to love your body, understanding how to love the people that are loving you and that support group, and then loving your effort, understand that you are putting in good work, that you are enough, that you are adequate, that you are secure enough to move on. And then faith, um, that's different for everyone. Um, but for me, you know, there's a faith in God, but the, there's also a faith in the support that's there, the faith in the effort that's right. been put in, the faith that there is love there and loving yourself. And so that's self-peace um, with identity. And then the other piece is um, it's circled around being a fighter. Uh, it's circled around learning how to get back up um, from the circumstances or obstacles that knock you down constantly, right? And then it's something that our team is, is uh, <laughs> it's something that our team culture is is focused around is we are going to be fighters and it's something that i'm focused around that's it's my personality i want to be a fighter um and really i like it and it, it, it it's rooted in the idea that you're gonna get knocked out in life you're gonna have circumstances that suck you're gonna have like and they can be in your control that you messed up and you totally screwed uh yourself up and whatever it is or it can be something that's outside of your control right and either way there's this personality, this personal responsibility that has to happen. It has to be activated for anything to happen. And the first part is just getting up. Like, how are you going to react? How are you going to respond? Um, and, and really it's just, uh, I, I love to talk to people about that. I love for people to be like, Hey, let's, let's hear how you've been beat up, abused, whatever yeah. it is. Um, you still get a choice. And a lot of people are, have been beaten up so far down to the ground that they don't realize that they still have a choice. That's um, right. And so it's it's getting back up that fighter mentality that I'm just uh, hope and pray and wish people would understand. Like you you've got you've got an out here, you've got an out here. I always tell people the blame game and pointing the fingers and not thinking that you have anything is is the par- is the paralysis. It, it paralyzes you because it you is. give them all of the chips. But then we go, oh, I, I can get back up. I can literally, I can just get in my wheelchair and all of a sudden I got mobility. And, and that's like the physical metaphor, um, for how just, I just hope and pray people realize. But, you know, I, I'm going to use a very 
simple example to even what you just said, right? Because in your case, it's not ever being able to walk again. And my wheelchair is my option. And I could have an electric one. I could have a push one. I could, right. I could figure out other ways of mobility, but that's going to be the most practical. But movement is so critical and key in life. Like we have to remain in movement. You know, just this last weekend, we were playing with our kid or I was out with my kids on Friday. We were on one of those rock. They were on one of those rocky things on the playground with a big old spring in the middle, four seats on each side and kids in the middle that were rocking with it. My daughter decided she was going to get up in the middle of it. Ankle and foot crushed underneath the bar, like excruciating pain, witnessed it. She hasn't walked in four or five days, right? Thank God nothing is broken. Like yeah. she's going to be just fine. And I knew that in day one and it was okay. But yeah. we were trying to figure out, like we yeah. didn't have kid uh, crutches. We didn't have a kid wheelchair. We didn't, right? Like, and she couldn't walk. So my wife and I are carrying her around for a couple of days. Lack of independence, dependency, right? Inability to move. And we went, my grandma has Alzheimer's. And so my parents take care of her. And she's got this really cool little walker that's got this sling in the middle. And I was like, that would be perfect because she could put her knee up in it. And we only need it for like maybe a week while she's doing it. Yeah. Yeah. She was already getting doom and gloom when she couldn't move. In five minutes when she was able to get on wheels and had movement, her natural light turned back on. And I know that for myself, those were the periods that I got darkest was when I didn't move. And I'm not talking about the do versus be thing here. I'm talking about being stuck in the state of life and not being able to move one day over another, one moment over another, one breath over another to try to improve my quality of life and state of being. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you've done that always and consistently and had these moments where movement really saved you. I'm fascinated to understand your struggle with integration over balance. I love the descriptor. I describe it that way as well because I don't believe in balance, but I'd love to hear your struggle and how you define integration and balance in your life. Yeah, balance, balance for me has always been kind of like, that's where the guilt comes back in. You need to balance yeah. your life out. And there's like, there. I mean, most men's brains, I mean, studies, you know, it's more like a, uh, you know, you can compartmentalize and whatnot and women are more spaghetti, whatever. I'm spaghetti, man. I'm like straight up spaghetti that just at all, I don't compartmentalize well. I know that. Um, and balance wise, there's just, I, I think about when I'm with my kids, there's times where I'm thinking about rugby when I'm with, uh, rugby group, I'm thinking about my kids when I'm with, uh, I'm not speaking. I'm thinking about all the, and like, there's just so many different thoughts and stuff going on, but I know like, Hey, I want to have a good, healthy balance per se but for me it's not balance it's integrating so like you know last week at tryouts i in my in my uh schedule was you know five in the morning i'm getting up i'm reading and, and doing my devotion at 5 30 i'm working out at 7 30 i'm facetiming and, and talking to the kids and we're doing a family devote like and so it's it's integrated into my rugby schedule when i'm gone uh it's integrated at home obviously in a in, in a lot easier way um than it is on the road but like my, my life can't compartmentalize. I can't just be a part-time dad. It needs to be full-time and I need to be present even when I'm gone physically. Um, and so that's something that is, um, a process, but I know I'm always, I'm a lot healthier. I have a lot better self-care. I have a lot better attitude towards going out and conquering the day when those things happen. Um, and for me, it's, it's the morning that, that makes the yeah. most sense. And so, um, that's something that I, I hope to continue to grow into just an absolute where that's a non-negotiable. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're already on the flow because you're aware of it. You're intentional and you're making movement. You know, where, where's the team going to end this year? How are you guys going to do? What's the culture going to look like? How are you going to craft their ability to connect? Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we've got eight new players from, from 2022 to 2023, eight out of 16. So half the 16, team. Thank new. you for saying that. I was just going to say for those who yeah. don't know how many are on. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Half, half the team. The te- half the team's new through, through, um, some retired players and then, and then, um, cutting some players and getting some new players in. So it's going to be a, a brand new team dynamic, but continuing to build in that culture, we have some really strong leaders. Um, we, we finished number two, uh, world championships in 2022, which is another major tournament besides the Paralympics. And so like, we're kind of forward thinking on Paris, which, uh, which is August of 2024, but this year is all about building that. Um, creating accountability and building that out. And so we can have a strong 2024. Um, this year is all about qualifying for Paris, which will be in Santiago in November. Um, and yeah, just there's a couple tournaments before that that are great spots to be able to allow the team to to fail and to learn and grow. Um, but we're, we're pretty darn excited about that. So, I mean, the big the big thing there is is creating, creating that accountability, um, building out those relationships so we can um, hit the runway in, in January, 2024, and hopefully finish, finish on the podium. I love it. All right. I'm gonna bring one more serious question at you. And then we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna lighten and start to wrap here. Go your kids. What is one thing they wish they could remove from you as their dad? And what is their favorite thing with you as their dad? Oh man. Um, favorite thing. Let's go favorite first. Um, yeah, I think just the, the interaction being able to just get out. I, I don't let my wheelchair kind of define whether I'm going to do or not do something. Um, and so, you know, there's never a, like never too many times where they're going, yeah, I can't do that. He's in a wheelchair type of a deal. Love um, it. it's, it's, it's go out and do it and, and figure it out. And so like, that's, that's something that we have a lot of fun with. Um, and then one thing that they could wish that they could take away, um, I think it's deep. I think it's 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 interesting. My kids will still be like, "Dad, I wish you could walk." Um, yeah, you know. And I think for them, it's just where they're at in their emotional stage of development makes complete sense, um, you know. And so continuing to like share with them that you know life goes on in a wheelchair. It's okay that I'm in a wheelchair. The wheelchair has brought me a lot of joy and a lot of success and uh, a lot of experience. Um, yeah. Like th- I think that's probably where they're, where they would yeah. say, uh, just cause they want, they just want away. what's best for you. Yeah. 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 You know, I, that resonates with me as well. Both my kids have made comments about like, Oh man, I wish your, your arm wasn't, didn't ever get hurt or you didn't have a little arm or whatever. And it was, ne- it's never from any place of it's always just like they can't envision what it's actually like, even though they've lived with me their entire life and they know what's possible and they still just want everything for us to be safe, protected and normalized. And, you know, I know at least in my own case, though there've been moments in my life that I wished that I could have taken the accident back. It's been a long time since I've had a thought like that cross my mind. And in fact, most people who've asked me recently, like, would you change it? I wouldn't change a damn thing. Yeah. I'm curious yeah. your opinion same. on that. No, same, same thing. I mean, it's it's kind of like when you're when you ask like, what would life be like without April? And the same thing, like, what would life be like if I didn't have that accident? And like, this has been a beautiful, beautiful life. And I'm coming up on 
on the mirrored life of, of 19 and 19 this summer yeah. um, and reflecting a lot on it and, and like what's happened in the last 19 years and uh, the seeds I've been able to plant around the world has been pretty neat, uh, pretty honoring to do. And um, yeah, I, and and to do it all through this made up sport where you just smash into each other is, is kind of crazy, man. Like it's been a really cool ride and wouldn't take it back. I, it's, it's, uh, maybe it's comfort in the knowing and what my life has been like, but I mean, it's, it's been pretty awesome. What's funny is I don't even want to know what it would be like. Like that's, that's the cool part. And it's like, I, there's a part of me that wonders, but at the same time, it doesn't matter. Like, this is where I am. This is my existence. This is how I show up in the world. And, yeah. and it's beautiful. And by the way, man, it is a privilege. It's a privilege to know you. It's a privilege to have you in my life. It's a privilege to watch you plant those seeds because you don't just plant them. You also water them you nourish them and you make sure that those plants have the chance to grow into whatever they're capable of being. Cause you're setting a solid root system. Like that's how yeah. you live your life with people. And it's obvious the way you lead with heart, the way you show up and the way you're willing to be open in a lot of the things that a lot of people don't talk about or want to spend even any minutes and moments in. And so I'm really grateful for that. I'm curious if you've got a closing thought that you'd like to leave everybody with. And certainly I want to make sure that you can let everyone know how they can get a hold of you. Cause I want, anyone who can find a way to support you, what you're doing or learn from you in all of the greatness and wisdom that you have to offer. I want them to find you. We'll put everything in the show notes, but please closing thought and let us know how we can find you brother. Yeah. It's uh, let's close with this, that, you know, like every single person and every single person that's a human probably has something in their life that they've dealt with through whether it's divorce, disability, disease, um, depression, something that has truly crippled them, that, that they have some wheelchair in their life. And, uh, and, and my challenge to you is that you've got a choice in it. You've got a responsibility in it to get back up. Um, and not that you're just going to throw it away. Not that it's going to go away. I think you and I are unique where people can visibly see that it doesn't go away. Um, but at the same time, um, you get a choice in it. Like hey. it's, it's your choice. It's your life. It's your mirror you're looking into. Um, you get the choice and there's a lot of power in that. And you can take back your power by, by saying, yes, I'm going to get back up and just challenge any listener. Take a look at that. Take a look at the, a true look in the mirror. Um, and you're going to find that you're going to have some power and that you're going to have some responsibility and that life is, is pretty awesome on the other side. Thank you for looking in the mirror every day, my friend. Thank you for getting back up and moving every single day. And thank you so much for being here with us today, my friend. Yeah, great great to be here. Thank you, Brian. All right, everybody. Well, you just heard it from the man himself. It doesn't matter if you get knocked down and literally can't physically stand back up. You can keep moving. And whether you're 19 and living the high life or you turn around two weeks later and your mom's helping wipe your butt, it's life. It's reality and your identity can change, but how are you staying connected to yourself? Who in your life is actually reflecting that accurate mirror back to you so that you can see when you're out of alignment of your power, your potential, and who you're capable of being? If you focus on connection and culture and vulnerability, you can build a tribe of community around you so that you can leverage your best self and tap into the full acronym that Joe just taught us today. But what it's going to require you to do is to be honest with yourself. Look inside and visit those dark moments long enough until you find the light. Because it's those lessons that you extract from the situations that happen to all of us 
that become most meaningful in how you live your life next. Continue flipping open your lid and scan your canvas.